But I tell you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who mistreat you and persecute you. Matthew 5.44 Dear Lord, in a world that often teaches us to retaliate, to harbor resentment, and to exclude, your words guide us toward a radically different path. You instruct us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. We admit that this isn't easy. It challenges us to the very core of our human instincts. Yet we know that this is the way of your kingdom. Fill us with a love that transcends human understanding, a love that mirrors your own unconditional love. Give us the courage and compassion to pray genuinely for those who have wronged us or who stand against us. Just as you have forgiven us, may we, moved by compassion, forgive those who have wronged us. In the strength of your Holy Spirit, we strive to live out this transformative love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Welcome to Pray News, where hope is our only bias. Today's news at a glance, foreign nationals and injured make a mass exodus out of Gaza. There's a new homeschool boom and it's here to stay. And a Christian village in Lebanon prepares for the worst. The command to love our enemies is perhaps one of the most challenging directives in the Bible. Yet it also is one of the most transformative directives. When we pray for those who have wronged us, something incredible happens, not just in them, but in us. Our hearts soften and we start to see them as God does, flawed humans in need of grace, just like we are. Remember, you're not on this journey alone. The Holy Spirit is right there with you, providing the strength to love when it seems impossible. When we align our actions with God's commands, we become conduits of His grace, and the world gets a glimpse of divine love. We're glad you're here. We pray today's take on the news leaves you informed and transformed. If you end up enjoying today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend. We want as many people as possible to experience the joy of the gospel and be informed on current events. Before we get to today's first story, let's hear a word from these sponsors. The conundrum of warfare mingles with the stench of blood and burnt rubble as Israel's ground forces make further inroads into northern Gaza. Yesterday, the narrative turned another somber page as a refugee camp was decimated identified by Israel as a Hamas stronghold, and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu resolutely rebuffed the call for a humanitarian ceasefire. According to Palestinian officials, Israeli airstrikes have claimed nearly 8,800 lives and left another 22,000 injured. Hospitals in Gaza are saturated beyond their operational capacity. Concurrently, the Israeli government states that since October 7th, Hamas attacks have resulted in approximately 1,400 fatalities on their side. Back in the United States, House Republicans are countering the Biden administration's $100 billion request for international aid, which includes Ukraine, by proposing a standalone bill that would reallocate $14.3 billion from the IRS to Israel. Notably, the ongoing conflict has fueled anti-Semitism and Islamophobia globally, reaching its most abhorrent expression in recent arrests at Cornell University involving hate speech and violent threats against Jewish students. Amid the chaos, the Rafah border crossing connecting Gaza to Egypt provided a glimmer of respite. Hundreds of foreign nationals and critically injured individuals crossed from Gaza into Egypt, escaping the war-torn region. These departures were facilitated by the Hamas-run Gaza Border Authority, which released a list of nearly 500 foreign nationals from eight countries, most associated with NGOs eligible for exit. The question of who gets to leave is equally complicated. A majority of those on the approved list are Jordanians, with several from Austria, Australia, and Japan. Nearly 60 are associated with aid organizations like the United Nations and the International Committee of the Red Cross. American citizens and other foreign passport holders remain trapped, though, and their fate is still uncertain. 
We find ourselves asking, who is our neighbor in these troubling times? Is it the Israeli citizen living in fear of another Hamas rocket? Or a Palestinian child caught in the crossfire? Or a humanitarian aid worker risking their life for others and possibly trapped in the region? The gospel teaches us that all of these people are our neighbors. While governments maneuver and battle lines are drawn, let us not forget the essence of Jesus' teaching to extend love, hospitality, and yes, even refuge to those most in need, irrespective of which side of the border they find themselves on. There's a somewhat poetic and biblical irony to all of this. Egypt has become a refuge and asylum for people. In the Gospel of Luke, Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt with Jesus as a place of shelter from danger. It was a poetic shift back then as the Jews once fled to Israel from Egypt. This event in the Gospels represented a grand opening of borders, abstracting a shift in how we view the world. The presence of God no longer resides in a specific location, but wherever the presence of Christ resides, and wherever His people are mobilized by compassion and conviction to bring His kingdom, let's lift these people up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray for all of those that find themselves displaced because of this conflict. We pray for the people of Israel as they try and recover from this terrorist attack. We pray for the people of Gaza who are caught in the crossfires between Israeli militants and Hamas. Lord, we pray for the captives and the hostages that still find themselves as bargaining chips as a war unfolds. And we pray for all of those nationals and all of those injured that are fleeing Gaza into Egypt. Would they be welcomed with open arms? And would you mobilize your people to welcome them in, give them necessary supplies, and somehow restore them to dignity? We love you, Lord, and we trust that you are still in the midst of this crisis, mobilizing people for justice and for compassion. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At a time when the educational landscape is transforming at an unprecedented rate, one particular form of education is skyrocketing beyond all expectations, homeschooling. Long stigmatized as the educational choice of eccentrics or rebels against the system, homeschooling is now not only going mainstream, but it is leading the pack. And it's not just a trend in specific pockets of the country, it's a nationwide phenomenon. The pandemic provided the initial jolt to the system, but as a recent analysis by the Washington Post confirms, the shift is far from ephemeral. The explosion in homeschooling has been sustained even as schools have reopened and pandemic restrictions have been lifted. This isn't just a statistical blip, it's a seismic shift in how we think about education. In a detailed district-by-district analysis, the Washington Post shows that homeschooling, once a fringe activity, has now become America's fastest-growing form of education. Astonishingly, in the 390 districts analyzed, there was at least one homeschooled child for every 10 children in public or private schools during the 2021 and 2022 academic year. This is a quadrupling of rates compared to the 2017 and 18 school year. The statistics are compelling. Over this past six years, the number of homeschooled students in states with comparable data has surged by 51%. In contrast, private schools grew only 7%, and public school enrollment actually fell by 4%. It appears the homeschooling wave has not been selective. It has surged regardless of the quality of the public schools in the district, party lines, geography, and other demographic factors like socioeconomic status. Homeschooling is far from the solo endeavor it once was. The image of a mom sitting at the kitchen table for six hours with her kids is not what homeschooling is currently. The robust infrastructure supporting homeschooled children has grown exponentially. 
For example, in Hillsborough County, Florida, which boasts the largest number of homeschooled students in the Post database, a community of 10,680 homeschooled children enjoy a complete academic and extracurricular ecosystem that rivals that of public or private schools. From organized sports teams to theater productions and even proms, the homeschooling community in Hillsboro has it all. A Christian homeschooling co-op that once catered to 40 children in 2011 has swelled up to nearly 600 students. In the words of Corey McCoon, who has been homeschooling for 14 years and now directs the co-op, homeschoolers in Hillsborough County do not lack for anything. We have come such a long way. This boom begs the question, with the growing infrastructure surrounding homeschoolers, what separates them from private schools? The key is in parent involvement. Many of these co-ops have parents intimately involved in their child's education, as well as the education of other students. This creates a village-like atmosphere where parents support each other instead of the responsibility of schooling being solely put on the teachers and administrators. Teachers are still hired to educate children, but the parents have a vested interest in the health and vitality of the classroom. While homeschooling has been celebrated by many for years, it's not without its critics. Some worry that the lax regulation could have long-term consequences on the quality of education children receive. Without standardized testing and district oversight, some fear that the standards of education in homeschooled schools will be far lower. So far, test results in college admissions, though, for homeschoolers show that that fear is unfounded. There's also a growing concern that this structure gives upper-class families a greater edge. The more resources parents have to hire private tutors, the better the children will do in that kind of system. Despite these concerns, state-level policies are becoming increasingly favorable to homeschooling. For instance, in Florida, families can now receive up to $8,000 per child in annual taxpayer funding for homeschooling. Tax dollars already go into each child through the public school system, but this type of programming puts the resources directly into the pockets of parents, giving them the ability to help their children with their specific needs. Homeschooling's impact extends beyond individual communities and states. The number of homeschooled kids nationwide is now estimated to be between 1.9 million and 2.7 million, surpassing the number of students in Catholic schools and catching up to charter school enrollment. Notably, this marks a stunning transformation for a form of education that was largely illegal just 40 years ago. The demographic of families opting for homeschooling is starting to diversify. Families of different religions, political, and socioeconomic statuses are opting for homeschooling. Families have cited many reasons, ranging from a lack of resources for special needs students to an overpopulation of classrooms. Parents on the right and left sides of the political aisle have also cited irritation with the growing politicization of public schools. So what does this mean for the future of American education and the hundreds of thousands of children now learning in unconventional settings? We might be tempted to view this as a momentary cultural fad, but the evidence suggests it is anything but. This is a meaningful, sustainable shift, one that signifies a rethinking of family life, the role of schools, and what education can mean in the 21st century. From Harlem to Kentucky, from small towns to bustling metropolises, homeschooling is rewriting the narrative and its chapters are still unfolding. Only time will tell where this educational revolution will take us. But one thing's for sure, it's an exciting time to be a student in America, as things can become more personalized and pointed towards interests, ambitions, and dreams. There is one thing, though, that remains steady and uncertain. Whether their children are in public school or homeschooled, parents are stewards of their children and responsible for their spiritual, emotional, and mental upbringing. You, to quote Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today 
shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the front lines between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and at your gates. We commend any parent working tirelessly to raise their children up in the love and the admonition of the Lord. Each parent will have their own way of going about it. Some will opt for public school, some private, some charter, some homeschool. Parenting isn't easy, but it's profoundly meaningful, rippling into future generations. Whatever parents decide regarding education, may the Lord give them strength and refreshment. Lord, we pray for every single parent out there, making profound decisions on how to educate and love and nurture their children. Would you give them wisdom, Lord? Would you give them wisdom that's applied to their specific situation, where they live, and what their life is like in the moment, and what they want their lives to be like in the future? May we never cast judgment on one educational system over another, but rather as a community, hold each other up as we raise these kids to be effective for your kingdom in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. In the golden hills of southern Lebanon, dotted with olive trees and ancient ruins, lies the Christian village of Ramesh. Situated perilously close to the Israeli border, the village has recently found itself on the front line of escalating tensions between the Lebanese Shiite group Hezbollah and Israel. Amid the reverberations of war and hardship, the people of Ramesh hold on to a sliver of hope while preparing for what might come next. In Ramesh, hope is both a lifeline, a heritage, and a burden. Only a couple of kilometers from a simmering frontier, the villagers have been living in a state of heightened anxiety. Three weeks of clashes have already impacted the community. Half the residents have fled, and even the olive harvest, the backbone of their economy, has been disrupted. What makes matters worse is that Lebanon is still recovering from its devastating financial collapse just four years ago. The situation is stable, but it's not like we're feeling safe, remarks village priest Tony Elias. Drone noises overheard have become the unnerving yet familiar soundtrack of daily life. If we don't hear the drone, we think something odd is going on. We're used to it every day, 24-7, he adds. Despite the omnipresent tension, the 18th century village church still holds mass three times a day. For the faithful, the old stone walls offer some semblance of normalcy and spiritual respite. Memories of the 2006 conflict with Israel loom large in the collective conscience of Ramesh. The village has not forgotten how it became a sanctuary for 25,000 displaced people in past conflicts. With this history in mind, locals and charities in Ramesh have set up a makeshift hospital at a school, praying they will never have to use it. We won't use it unless there's a war and roads get closed. And Ishala, God willing, this won't happen, says George Mahdi, a village doctor. Years of financial turmoil have left the Lebanese community in ruins, and the tensions only deepen the wounds. If the war is prolonged, we can't stay here. There is no work or money, says Charbel al-Alam, a 58-year-old tobacco farmer. Farming tobacco has historically been crucial to South Lebanon's economy, but now even that is under threat. One element conspicuously missing in Ramesh is the yellow and green flag of Hezbollah. While being cautious to avoid criticism of Hezbollah for his own safety and the safety of his community, the mayor, Milad al-Alam, stresses the need for the Lebanese army to be the only military force in the country, a perspective also shared by many of Hezbollah's opponents, including the United States. We wish the decision of war and peace were in our hands. If it were, the situation would have been much different, he solemnly remarks. Ramesh is a Christian village living under the persecution and oversight of Shiite Muslims, yet it's been thriving. 
Despite this, they have served as a refuge for people displaced from conflicts. They are a destination for medical assistance and crucial supplies. This is their heritage. This is their Christian heritage. This is a shining testament to what Christ has called us to do. But I tell you, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who mistreat you and persecute you. For the people of Ramesh, their faith is both their shield and their sword. It's the cornerstone that keeps the community together, the spiritual sustenance that nourishes souls amid temporal chaos. In the face of trials and tribulations, the villagers stand resolute, a testament to the enduring spirit of a people guided by faith, hope, and indomitable will to survive. As the Apostle Paul wrote, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. The reason we're highlighting the people of Ramesh and this Christian community in Lebanon is to note the fact that there are many believers currently in the Middle East doing their best to be pillars of peace in a world that is so wrought with destruction, darkness, and chaos. Ramesh's story is also a poignant lesson in resilience and the endurance for the sake of Christ, even when the future remains uncertain. As we send our prayers and thoughts to them, we must also reflect on our own role in supporting Christian communities worldwide, facing adversity, and going forward on the front lines as they seek to bring God's kingdom here on earth. So, let's close our time together in prayer. Lord, we pray for the people of Ramesh and other Christian communities that are caught in the in-between of this tension. Lord, we pray for these fellow believers as they seek to march to your heartbeat. God, would you mobilize people to help and bring aid wherever it's needed. Lord, would you inspire us every single day to find places in our own communities where we can meet needs and be your hands and feet of compassion, kindness, and justice. We love you, Lord, and we trust you for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Pray News. It is our aim to be informed and transformed. We pray today you would proceed with hope, love, and determination to be a force for good. If you've enjoyed this take on the news, consider writing a review and share your experience. You can sign up for our newsletter at PrayNews.com. There you will find sources to all of our reporting. And be sure to download the Pray.com app to make prayer a priority in your life and experience the Bible in new and exciting ways. God bless.